Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. Um, The reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Kids, oh wait, wait kids, I need more information here, we'll, we'll get it as we go, but Isabel Blanzi was born Monday the 25th, another September baby to add to our list, so, uh, so Liz and Michael, we can clap for them, I'm excited for them, and uh, little baby Blanzi will be running these halls before we know it, and do we have, do I have any other info, do we have like size and stats, trophy date, trophy status, any, nothing? But I think everybody's healthy, everybody's doing well. All right. So we're, we will be excited to welcome little Isabel. And I'm sure she's going to have beautiful blonde hair, bright blonde hair running up and down these, uh, these halls. All right. Now, kids, uh, just elevate, I think. You can follow Mr. Scott there in the back who's trying to sneak out before he has to do that. Follow him. Everybody else is going to be in here this morning. And we are going to talk about prayer. Um, have you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make, I'm going to try to make everybody self-conscious here. I did this once before and it was really cool. Um, have you ever been talking to somebody and like in the middle of talking, they like, they do this and start itching their nose? And, you're, and you kind of get mixed signals. You're like, are they itching their nose? Or are they telling me that I have something in my, And you know, now that I'm thinking about it, I think I have something in my nose. And so like the whole conversation just begins to be like this. And is that just me or does anybody else endure those types of things? Right. And then like when you finally get a chance to go and look in the mirror, and you're like, all right. Um, or you see something which makes it even worse. Or when nobody tells you anything. And then you see something like on your nose or, and then you realize you have no real friends and it just goes downhill from there. Uh, so a few months back, I, I poked, when we got to prayer, I poked at uh, when we pray for food. And I could tell everybody after that when I said, you know, when we ask God to bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies, right? And how God is not going to do that with anything from McDonald's. God is like, hands off, you're making your own decisions here. Uh, And this is, I'm not, don't ask me to turn that into something magical, right? And then I noticed that people like would catch themselves in prayer and everybody was telling me about how how insecure they got when they prayed in their food and they're like, and blessed, thank you God for food, you know? And 
And listen, it's okay to be grateful for good food. McDonald's is not good food. That's, it, didn't, it ceased to be good food after 18 years old for me. Uh, it became retribution. Um, so uh, this is all whatever. Um, there were people running a marathon outside our church this morning, and we're just in. I was like, all right. So people do that on purpose. We're going to keep moving on this morning into Matthew chapter 6 of the Sermon on the Mount. If you remember, in Matthew chapter 5, uh, Jesus is telling people, just because you don't do certain things doesn't mean you have a right relationship with God. There are things that you cannot do, um, bad things that you cannot do, and still not have a good relationship with God. That doesn't, those don't equal. So if you say, well, um, you know, he, he talks about uh, that if you don't um, have affairs and you don't kill people, and, and then he kind of brings uh, to light, like, there might be internal struggles that you have. You may hate people internally. You may lust after people in your heart. You may make false promises to make yourself look better. That doesn't mean you have a right relationship with me. And while certainly actually killing people is worse, I, we'll, we'll all agree to that, right? Just hating somebody in your heart does not mean you've actually killed them. So that's, that's all right. But it doesn't mean that you have a right relationship with God. It doesn't mean that you are in righteous standing. And in chapter 6, what we're going to see is not only not doing certain things, but also even doing good things. If you do good things for the wrong motive, that doesn't mean you have a right relationship with God. If we do things to be seen, um, and, and we get this, right? If you love somebody to get stuff from them, that's not really love. We have a thing in our, you know, I've, I finally met someone who is going to make me happy for the rest of my life. You know what a horrible thing that is to do to another human? You're, this is it. This is, this is the only expectations I have for you. Please make me happy for the rest of my life. And if you're down for that, we can get married, <laughs> right? Um, well, what are you going to do? I am going to be happy <laughs> for the rest of my life because of you, right? We, that's, that's very selfish. That's much more about us than it is about them. Um, so we're gonna enter into a couple weeks on prayer. Jesus is gonna point out some things not to do, some unhealthy things about prayer, but then he's also gonna just give us a big, beautiful picture of not only what to do when we pray, but what is the essence of prayer? What does it mean? And so we're gonna go ahead and, and jump into the passage and uh, there's a little thing, it's going to get ugly funny uh, as we go, um, and, and when we talk about different types of prayers, and uh, you may recognize yourself or somebody else on the list here, but it'll be equal opportunity offenders. So, in verse 5, Jesus says this, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say, they've received their reward. 
What is helpful to understand in Jewish practice, especially in the days of Jesus, there were three times of day that people would pray publicly uh, or, or that would just stop and pray. Um, these were common practices. One would, be, one would be in the evening before bedtime, one would be in the morning, and then one would be right around the time of afternoon sacrifices, which would have been about three o'clock. Um, why is bedtime mentioned first? Anybody know? This Jewish day begins at sundown, not at sunup. That's right. Which I think is beautiful that their day begins with rest and dependence. Um, now, there, with that, certainly many opportunities to pray spontaneously throughout the day, but these three specific times prescribed uh, were, were of particular important, uh, importance in Jewish practice. So hear me on this, okay? This is not bad. This is not bad. Jesus is not condemning uh, specific times of the day to pray. Jesus is not condemning scripted prayer at all. And he's not saying that spontaneous prayer is somehow purely righteous. There were two types of prayers that, that uh, most Jewish people would practice uh, for this. They, they had psalms. They would pray various psalms that they had memorized. Uh, but then also, uh, rabbis over time began to develop customary prayers known as Amida, the Amida prayers. Uh, it literally means standing, and these were prayers that while standing, they consisted of recitations of blessing and benediction that would have been followed by uh, restating the Shema or the commandments, and these were just a recollection of various blessings and asking God uh, for the blessings over the day. The Shema, the Ten Commandments, you know what those are. Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is the Shema, which means to hear, to listen. Here again, Jesus isn't saying that praying out loud is bad. Uh, and in fact, we're going to talk about how praying out loud is actually good. Um, these prayers were to be spe uh, said at specific times. And apparently, it was not uncommon among certain people, or at least certain groups of people, maybe certain types of people, that if you just so happened to be walking right in the center of the synagogue when the clock struck three, where everybody would see you, that you would pray this loud, elegant prayer among a certain type of people, right? That Jesus calls the hypocrites. Or that you, if you were happened to be standing on the street corner and you just happened to be walking in front of a large crowd and then, oh, I didn't even realize what time it was, let me bless all of you with my eloquent prayer life where they were praying to be seen. And Jesus warns that to pray in order to be seen, you actually forfeit, forfeit the reward of prayer, which is, which is communion with God. And you receive your reward in full, which is all the people that actually care about that have seen you pray. Well done. Or, right? Um, now, I think this can play into a whole host of issues in our day, uh, and 
I think there are, sure, there are times when we would pray to be seen, but culturally, and, and refuge specific maybe for a whole church full, and we're not a church full of introverts anymore, but um, I think it's going to look a little bit different for us in our common practices. I don't know any, I don't, I don't know, but I'm willing to bet that most of you are not just walking along waiting for the alarm on your phone to go off so you can stop in the middle of everybody and go, excuse me. Qdoba, can I have your attention, please? Right? Um, it's going to look different because of, of the way that, of our practices in the world that we live in. And I think the struggle that we might have when we pray might be more along the lines of meaningless words. Um, certainly in Jesus' day, prayer was seen as something you need to do. Most people prayed at these times in the day because you were supposed to. But it wasn't necessarily communion with God, and it wasn't necessarily, for most people, it wasn't necessarily to be seen. Most of it was, we do this because uh, we're supposed to pray. When we go out to eat, we're supposed to pray, apparently, before our meal. And why? I don't know why. Some people said so that other people that are dining can see that we're praying. Uh, but it was just something that was expected, and sometimes our words can become meaningless. They just become Script. Uh, 1975, a gentleman by the name of Leroy Koopman wrote a book called A Guide to Ecclesiastical Bird Watching. Has anybody ever heard of this book? All right. It's actually pretty brilliant. 1975 may or may not have been a year where I was born, but uh, he would categorize public prayers or prayers uh, like you were watching birds in the wild. And it's actually, it's pretty amazing. Um, so I'm just going to straight up read. Uh, Scott McKnight, his commentary has been super helpful, and he, he talks about this. Uh, and so you may recognize some of these people from ecclesiastical bird watching. In other words, sitting in church and noticing people's habits uh, like, you're, like you're watching birds. There is the bird in church we came to name Pious Patty. When he prays, everyone knows he's serious and pious because he says... Lord, and God, and Jesus. And he gives the big words there. Then, over there, sits repetitious Raleigh, who can't quite take the impiety of silence. So he, either, he says either, our Heavenly Father, or, and Lord, between every sentence. Sometimes between clauses, and by the time he's done, he's really fathered and lordified almost every word in his prayer. Next to repetitious Raleigh is his buddy, Focused Frederick, who somewhere got the idea that the word just, you guys know where I'm going with this one, as in we just thank you, Lord, doesn't mean only and doesn't limit what he's saying, but instead expresses just how focused he is in his prayer request. And just, and God, we just, and you know, just, we just need to focus if we could just. All right. Sitting all alone in the front, known for his intelligence as Highfalutin Herald, 
whose prayers are loaded up, with, uh, loaded up theologically and sometimes even uses the word eschatological or soteriological, sometimes says, our exegesis has grounded us in a biblicism and theology that makes you proud. Born and bred in the 60s, I love this, informal Isabel and authentic Adam. They have a style of public prayer noted by saying whatever's on their minds and in their hearts, irreverent or not. Isabel once prayed, I'm so freaking mad about poverty, God. <laughs> and after Adam amended her, he upped the ante a bit with his own prayer. God, I'm with Isabel. And like, what the heck's going on in Rwanda? They enjoy the provocation, but blanketed themselves with good Christian idea that prayer is not honest and authentic, it is not real prayer. And like David is one of their favorite defenses. At the other end of their pew is cliche Clarissa, who somehow has accumulated a storehouse of Christian expressions for each of her prayers, finishing off her individual requests with, and we'll be careful to give you all the thanks, or beginning her prayers with, and Lord bless the missionaries and the starving children of the world. Quotatious Quentin, friend of Highfalutin Herald, likes to quote books and authors and Bible verses. When he prays, one time he said, as Richard Foster taught us, we today yearn for prayer and hide from prayer. He lifted his voice a bit on the and to give it the bilateral problem. He continued, but Jesus knew what Richard Foster would say. And so he taught us, for your father knows the thing that you have need of before you ask him, as my translation reads. He is also known for using the KJV or the NKJV because of their quotatious powers. Some preachers, too, have a preacher's habit. We'll skip this one. Summarizing Stephen, who sums up his entire sermon in the first two minutes of his post-sermon prayer. Preaching Peter, who doesn't make a good transition from his sermon to his closing prayer and rams home his final points one more time in his prayer. And we'll close with send-off Sam, who has developed the Old Testament habit, at least he thinks it's Old Testament, of loading up his prayer at the end. Some people load up in the front, but he loads up his prayer at the end. One time he finished his sermon, something like this. Hard to get it all down, but I did my best. In the glorious and, maje and majestic and everlasting and beautiful and ever-loving glorious, he goes on lo so long, he repeats some words. Name of our one and only Lord, Savior, your Son, and our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, our Messiah, and the God of our fathers, to whom be glory and majesty and honor forever and ever in the matchless, unconquerable, victorious, glorious name of Jesus. Amen, amen, and amen. All right. Anybody recognize any of those? Anybody guilty of any of those? Uh, sometimes it's not even necessary for people to notice us in our prayers. Sometimes we just pray of the habits that we've learned. And it's not necessarily bad, except for sometimes our words become meaningless. And especially, I think, when we're praying with other people or we're praying in public, um, how often, if we are praying out loud in front of other people, how often are we more fixated on what they are thinking about our prayer? Not even necessarily for praise. Sometimes it's like, all right, God, just get me through this. Help me not to say anything stupid. Verse six. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in, who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. 
So Jesus is going to give a pretty harsh judgment of those seeking to pray to be noticed. Your reward is that you've been seen by fickle and judgmental people. Congrats. Enjoy it. But then Jesus gives us another way. If the hypocrites go in public square and street corners to be seen by others, what he's saying is you, as children of the Most High, can even go into the secret places and be seen and known by God. Now, here again, Jesus is not saying don't pray in public. He's saying, remember your audience when you pray. Remember the whole point of prayer. Whether it's hidden in some closet in your house. Now, this is what a legalist would do, is they would go and they would build a special prayer closet because this is the place where God hears me, right? And that's not, that's not exactly what Jesus is saying here. Whether you're praying in, in some hidden closet in your house or whether you're pl- praying in the middle of the streets of St. Charles, you are in conversation with the God of the universe. That Jesus really starts to push here when he calls your father. The good and heavenly father who sees you, who knows you, who knows what you want and knows what you need and is attentive to your words and to your heart and to your mind. You are holding audience with the king of the universe when you pray. And do you know what your reward is? You are holding audience with the king of the universe who knows you and hears you. That's amazing. I tried to, I was trying to think of a parallel in our world, like who is somebody that you could sit down with, somebody who is so powerful um, that you could sit down with them. uh, And and I thought, okay, so just imagine if you're able to sit down and talk to Taylor Swift. (laughs) But then here's, here's where I immediately went with that. Here's where I immediately went with that, is if we're honest in our confession, how many of us would actually care at all what Taylor Swift actually thought but we'd be more concerned about getting the selfie with Taylor Swift so that everybody could see that we got to sit down and talk with Taylor Swift. Right? That's, uh, would anybody walk away from that not taking a selfie? And then you start to imagine how used Taylor Swift feels. How horrible it must be. To, I'm just kidding. Um, prayer... Prayer is communing with God. It's making our requests known to the God of the universe, to the good and heavenly Father who knows you and loves you. We are talking with God. And in the ancient world, this is a a way foreign concept. And honestly, even for the Jewish people, it's not necessarily the priests can talk with God. Prayer, is, it, it, is a, it is a conversation with God. Sometimes that's public. So we're talking to God with and on behalf of other people. And sometimes it's private and it's just us and God. 
I think sometimes we can kind of take that for granted in our day on how mind-blowing this was. And again, I'm not sure how much this was understood in Jesus' day. Most of what was done, even by God-fearers, most of what was done in keeping the, the, the daily prayer habit was done because that's what you were supposed to do. I think sometimes we can look back and we can be like, well, the Pharisees were just really bad people. They weren't, actually. There's a lot of times Pharisees weren't bad people, but this, and, and a lot of people didn't pray just to be seen. They prayed because this was part of our habit. This is what we do. But in our day, like, I think we take it for granted. God can hear me anywhere. Okay, he can, you're right. And do you, do you pray? Well, no. But he knows. We forfeit being in the presence of God and having him listen. That we would commune with God. That even we uh, as individuals who may not matter in the cosmic happenings of the day, that even we have his attention. So, this is all we're going to hit this morning. We're going we're to look at the we're going to look at the babbling pagans next week. Um, but I want to give you I want to finish with a few thoughts on prayer as we practice it for when we pray. First, <clears throat> private or public, the Psalms, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, there's some other prayers that are recorded in Scripture. Uh, some historical prayers, even scripted prayers, the Serenity Prayer. There are some beautiful written prayers that are gifts from God that we can pray that are good. Uh, in the middle of the pandemic, I just remember being so overwhelmed and so burdened and feeling in just incredibly powerless and not even knowing what to do and mind going everywhere. Uh, and a friend of mine told me he was just reading through a psalm. And I, he's like, I'm not going to try to like... I'm not going to try. And then, of course, you know, all your friends on Facebook, which is the only communication we had with the known world, are like, I'm reading through the Bible once a day. And, uh, and I'm like, man, I see the Bible over there on my desk. And I'm kind of like, I'll pick it up. So what I began, I, so I just, taking that nod, I was like, all right, I'm just going to sit in Psalm 37. And that's, that was so freeing. And to meditate on Psalm 37 and to not feel like I had to get it all down and just sit in a phrase or in a word or whatever and let it minister to me and let it expose me and taking out my frustrations uh, through that and just meditating and sitting, on, uh, sitting in, uh, in it and praying um, Psalm 37. It became my prayer. When we are at a loss of what to say, when we don't know what to say before God, the Psalms are a beautiful place to find words to find a prayer, and it's so good. So don't be afraid of like scripted prayers. Be afraid of meaningless words. Don't be afraid of prayers that are already written. Let them give thought, let them speak for you. Second, scheduling times to pray, a rhythm of prayer. Um, I think Actually, I've come to be convicted that I think this is essential. I'm not saying pray only at these times, but having times throughout your day that you are reminded and you have something that you are praying for, I think, I think it's essential. I think it's, I think it's really good. 
And yes, I think we can and should pray spontaneously throughout the day, uh, but I think having specific times of prayer helps to grow our habits of communing with God, of remembering to number and count our days, of remembering to see and check where we're at, who am I depending on, what am I looking at for coping, what am I looking at for relief and trust, am I following Jesus? And just having those regular times throughout the day, praying the hours, I think they're so good. There are days when I do this really well, and there are days, honestly, more lately, that I am terrible at this. I have my alarm set on my phone for three times a day. 7 a.m. in the morning is the Lord's Prayer. Give me today, God, my daily bread, because I'm tempted to either go, thanks, I'm good, or to say, God, give me today my lifetime supply, and then I'll be good for the rest of the time, and you don't have to worry about me, you can go worry about other people. Um, and just waking up in the morning and saying, God, this is new mercy, and and meet with me today. One o'clock, my alarm goes off and it's loud. It's the only one that has volume on it and it always catches me off guard and sometimes I'm like, ah. One o'clock is going through Psalm 1. Blessed is the man. It's a prayer for wisdom because at one o'clock in the afternoon, I don't know about anybody else, but I'm looking for paths of least resistance. I don't want wisdom. I want easy. I'm about done with the day and I'm like, let's just, let's just get, get to evening here. And so it's a prayer for wisdom. Um, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates night and day. Psalm 1, walking through Psalm 1. God give wisdom. And then the evening, which is historically been my absolute greatest struggle. Uh, I think my alarm is at 9 o'clock. It's a reminder to take medicine and uh, pray Psalm 139. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit. You know when I rise. You discern my thoughts. Not a day has happened that you have not written down. The reminder that, in the, that even in the watches of the night, God stands guard so that I can rest. Far too often, I resort to a Netflix show to take my mind off all that's going on. And that's not like code for anything. Most of the time, it's Seinfeld. I just, just something brain dead to not have to think or not let thoughts come in. And yet, what I have in prayer is the offer to sit with God and trust that not only that he can take my mind off what is going on during the day, but that he can actually stand on the wall and watch while I rest, but it's easier to just mind numb. So scheduling times to pray, I think is good. I think it's good. And you're not gonna nail it every time. That's okay. Third thing, pray out loud. I don't mean pray loud, but pray out loud. Uh, There are times when you say words so that you can hear them and they become more real. When you give audible voice to temptation, not in confession, but like actually start saying things out loud, that temptation takes root, I think. In our prayer, when we are talking to God, when we talk audibly so that even we can hear our words, I think that's helpful. I think it just reinforces those things. Um, Plus, 
if you're like me and you start praying in silence, <laughs> it's always a coin flip on how that goes. Lord, thank you for loving me and for the day. And I don't remember if I locked the door. And what was that kid's name in eighth grade that vomited all over the, my locker? And did I actually schedule that bill to be paid this week or was it next week? When we pray out loud at times, we, we keep better connected and actually hear our own words. And when we pray out loud with other people, we'll call that a public prayer, for lack of a better term, that we remember that we're not simply reciting cliches, but that our words have meaning. That we're actually meaningfully coming before the God of the universe, even with others around us. That doesn't mean you don't, I mean, you can have something scripted, but still let it, let it search you. Um, and again, sometimes when we just, like sometimes we just want to make it in and out as quick as we can. Just don't screw up. Don't say anything dumb in this prayer. Uh, or to sound more spiritual than we might be. Or, like, this is my opportunity for mass confession and nobody can do anything because our heads are all bad. So I'm just going to get it all out right now. Uh, we may try to impress people um, but even in these moments, even like if, if you get like the terror of all terrors, if you get called on to pray at the end of small group, would you close us in prayer? <sighs> okay. We're actually still communing with God even in those moments. We're talking with him and what, and what we say matters to God. And if you're in that group and listening and, and some, you know, have you ever been like where you're, you're like cheering them on? Like, come on, come on, make it and just, and just make it and just make it. Father, just make it. Yes, Lord, yes. He's landing the plane. Uh, but like, we're communicating with God. Uh, I want to finish with this thought. Scott McKnight, who's been tremendously helpful as commentary on, on the Sermon on the Mount, um, he talked about a particular seminary professor that he had that would give wonderful lectures. This was obviously a, a very godly man. He had a deep, deep knowledge of Scripture, but it wasn't, it wasn't just academic, and you could tell by that. And he would take prayer requests at the beginning of class. Now, when I was in seminary, that was always a bad idea, I thought, for, for seminary professors to take uh, prayer requests at the beginning of class because you have a bunch of seminary students that if you just so happen to be walking through the middle of the synagogue when you ask for my prayer request, oh, I can't wait to tell you how big my need is. It's like explosions, multiple people dead, and like, and like people would search for the absolute worst thing no matter how related they were to it or not. They'd find a way. Like my dog's cousin's friend's mom had a heart attack last night, and then the hospital blew up, and then and it just became like this thing, and it was like, Oh no. Um, is that, that's a weird thing to seminary, but like some of you, Darden, you were in seminary. Yeah, see? Yeah, it's like a, and again, when a seminary professor would do that, I'd be like, you're taking your own risk here. Um, but this guy would take, he would take prayer requests, um, and he would receive these requests, and then he would bow. And the way, the way that, uh, Scott McKnight would talk about this. He would bow and he would take an awkward amount of, si of time of silence as he would collect his thoughts and the requests that had been made known 
and internally would take those requests. He would recount and recall scripture and the promises of God, what he knew to be true of God, that this was a God who actually cared about all of these requests and about the people in this class. And as he would take some time in silence to collect all of these things together in his mind, he would then approach the throne of grace with confidence. Bearing the needs and concerns of his students. Refuge, when we pray, we are invited into the throne room of grace to hold court with the king of the universe, to have his attention, to feel his affection, to talk with him, to remember who he is and what he has done, to commune with a good father, to bring our requests and our questions and our thoughts to the one who cares for us and who knows us and who in Christ has not held that against us. So let's close this morning. I'm just gonna take a few minutes in silence. I can't do the awkward tremendously well, so let's, we'll take a few uh, probably a few seconds in silence. And I'm gonna pray for us And we're going to finish with the Lord's Prayer together. So let's just take a minute. God, even just sitting here and wrestling with this and this thought to bear the needs on behalf of this people and, and then my own. And to know and trust and believe that you actually sit here, attentive and aware, not only of what's coming out of my mouth, but what's in my heart and in my mind. And that you do this with deep love and mercy. So God, on behalf of your people, we are distracted, tired, often overwhelmed. Some of us are 
pessimistic and cynical. Some of us are filled with eternal hope and joy. And, and we get to sit here together and bask in your presence and remember about you what is true and cling to that and hope in that and have confidence in that and bring that to bear on our stories, on our days, on our successes and failures and on our temptations and on our victories. And you listen attentively, giving us what we need, not always what we want, but what, but what we would want if we knew what we really, really needed. So I pray that as we sit here this morning that we would actually give us a, a, a vision or a view or a, uh, open our eyes to see that you sit in the presence of your people. You beg us to come and, and sit before you and, and bring our problems and our needs before you, not as not as like a lottery ticket, but as a, a good father who actually cares for us. So give us eyes to see that. And you are the one who taught us to pray. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.